Hey, it's me, your friendly neighborhood, Billy Draper. Before we start the interview with Ryan, I wanted to check in and see how everyone's doing out there. You guys good? Good. That's really that's really good to hear. I really actually needed to hear that. Um, if at any point in any of the episodes you're listening and you're thinking, I wish he had asked this or I wish he had followed up with that, um, please give me that feedback so I can improve on the next one. Leave your feedback in the review section of the Apple Podcasts app or tweet me at Billy underscore Draper. Uh, it would be way too easy for you to remember if I just had Billy Draper. So Billy underscore Draper is the ticket. Thank you all so much for listening. Hopefully you enjoy this episode over a nice acai berry bowl. And also subscribe to this podcast right now if you haven't already. And if you have already, start stealing your friends' phones so you can subscribe for them as well. Actually, don't. He went up there into the Amazon with this, carried this huge crystal in his suitcase, and we basically planted that crystal at the base of our factory um, underground to make sure we had the good vibes. Welcome, everybody, to the Making the Brand podcast. My name is Billy Draper. I'm a venture capitalist at Draper Associates. But on this show, we're going to be talking about brands. We'll talk to founders and leaders of growing consumer companies that are finding ways to stand out, differentiate, and delight their customers. On today's show, we talk to Ryan Black, founder and CEO of Sambazon. If you've ever had an acai smoothie or berry bowl, it's likely that you've come across Sambazon, as they are the leading purveyor in the U.S. Ryan teaches us how he brought what has historically only been available in Brazil to the U.S., and in doing so, created an entirely new industry. So today we have a fantastic guest, Ryan Black, who is pretty much responsible for the entire acai, acai berry bowl movement in the United States. Ryan, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Billy. Great to um, participate. So what is, I, I think we'll start off just simply, why don't you give a little explanation as to what is Sambazon? So what is Sambazon? So Sambazon is really a, an idea that started about 20 years ago um, around the acai uh, fruit and, and movement, as you call it, that was the fact that it, this is something that just became popular in Brazil in the early 90s. Um, and so when I first had it, um, in right at the end of 99, um, in the very beginning of 2000, um, I'd learned that acai was a wild harvested fruit and that it, um, you know, it grows out in the forest and employs, um, you know, roughly almost a million people involved in the trade and the cultivation and things like that of it. But it, there's no big agribusiness. There's no plantation. There's none of this stuff. So you have this interesting situation where you have sort of the poorest of the poor out in the forest um, and trying to you know, do what we do, which is find ways to feed their family and live a happy life. Um, and they have this sort of wealth of, of resources, um, a treasure chest, if you will, um, in the Amazon. But finding ways to make money isn't always the easiest thing to do, um, especially when you have interests of you know, sugarcane and charcoal and timber and soy and cattle. And you have all of these 
big industries that are really after this land. And in the case of acai, all of a sudden these people had, you know, this purple gold growing in their backyards. And so I had heard that wild har- there was many wild harvested fruits that had eventually become domesticated. And so I figured that acai would certainly follow suit with domestication. And then that means, you know, getting into plantation and monoculture and pesticides and things like that. And I thought to myself, well, wow, what if we could actually add value um, and create some sort of um, added benefit to a sustainably harvested wild cropped acai fruit um and so that and and the idea that we could we could get you know ngos and we could get you know you know every everyday people and retailers and everybody to go you know we want that stuff we want the good stuff we want this sustainable commodity if you will so that one day when some agribusiness or whatever comes along with it and just says here it is at a cheaper price or whatever it is that people would say no 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 i I want more it's sort of like um you know we grow um, sparkling wine here in California, but we can't call it champagne. It only gets called champagne from one specific region of France. So my thought was, could we do something like that with acai so that it could become the world's first or one of the first, you know, sort of mainstream commodities, sustainable commodities. And so Samazon is really an acronym for sustainable management of the Brazilian Amazon. And the idea was if we could go out work directly with farmers, which wasn't really the case at the time, and build this supply chain based on, you know, a triple bottom line philosophy of social, environmental, and economic success, that 20 years later, we could look back and say, you know, we we helped to shape an industry, if you will. Um, and that's what we've done. That's incredible. And, and tell me a bit about your background. Where did you grow up? Uh, you know, did you always want to start a business? And, and how did you end up getting into food and Bev specifically? Yeah, so I, I was born in Florida but moved to Southern California um, very quickly and kind of grew up here at the beach, um, you know, surfing and skateboarding and things like that. But then when I was about nine years old, we moved to Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, I had had some um, just the beginnings of, of some football participation. Um, you know, I had played soccer when I was a little tyke and then started playing football. And so when I got to Arizona and there was no more beach, I really um, focused on skateboarding and um, and playing football. And football became really my love um, as far as sports go because it's such a strategic game. It's like you know, it's like chess. Um, and you know, while I didn't ever really think about oh, I got to have this business or I'm going to be my own boss or anything like that, but I can say that growing up um, with one brother and a single mom, we were very entrepreneurial. You know, we always made, you know, a few bucks, you know, go a little bit further. So I think that really um, helped shape um, myself and my brother Jeremy's, you know, entrepreneurial um, outlook on on life. And when we got into um, building our own business, we sort of had that skill set, if you will. Um, and then I would say that the, um, the, the leadership and the discipline that was developed playing football um, and teamwork. And, um, I was, had the, the, the fortune to play, um, at the collegiate level at the university of Colorado at Boulder, um, which we'll get into that, but that was also an opportunity for me to learn a lot about natural organic foods and social justice and fair trade and things like that. So I sort of had one foot in this mainstream athletics, um, and sports. And then I had another foot sort of in the culture of Boulder, Colorado, which um, some call it like the mecca of natural foods and things like that. So 
I sort of had one one foot in each and you know looking back now on the whole opportunity here with Samazon and how we um, you know built a team and were entrepreneurs and went out and you know worked really hard and continued to do so um, that that all kind of I can look back and stems from both my um, my upbringing you know my experiences um, in athletics and um, the ability to sort of you know, make decisions in a, you know, high stress environment, fast paced environment, um, like a football field, you know, um, really, I could say, um, prepared me in some ways to be a CEO. And you were the captain of the team I read. Yeah. Um, you know, as a, certainly as a senior, um, and we would, you know, we would rotate, um, you know, captains for different games and stuff like that. But myself and a couple of the core guys were certainly the, 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 I was the defensive captain of the, of the team. And um, as as a strong safety, um, you know, on on defense, that's pretty much the quarterback on defense. So, um, like I said, I was I'm, I'm, I was used to. I had some good training of making um, decisions, you know, in in high stress situations. <laughs> and then, how did you get into Asayi specifically? You know, I had um, met a, a, a wonderful um, Brazilian girl um, in 1998. And um, had never met a Brazilian in my life, and actually um, met her at the uh, the Rio Hotel in Las Vegas, just completely randomly with my my brother and some friends and her friends, and so we sort of jumped into this you know Brazilian culture, if you will, um, and then decided to go down to to Brazil to celebrate the millennium, and and that's where um, among you know surfing and hanging at the beach and just really, um, you know, seeping into Brazil's amazing culture of, um, you know, joy that they have down there and tropical and just happy to be alive and, and celebration of life. Um, really, you know, I kind of got addicted to that, um, and saw this, this great, I guess, business opportunity. Um, you know, I never wanted to go into the beverage business or necessarily even like pick the, the, the food business or anything like that. We saw this really as a way to um, develop a business that would create, you know, positive so- socioeconomic change. And that really is sort of the role of the social entrepreneur in the world is to, um, I've, I've read that social entrepreneurs, you know, they take a concept and then they attach it to a shiny object, maybe a conservation model and they attach it to a, to a shiny object. So, um, acai is our, our shiny object and, um, by, um, you know, producing product and marketing product and, and feeding people, you know, we're making a lot of, um, happy people from a nutrition standpoint, but then that goes all the way back to the supply chain, um, providing, you know, healthy jobs and, uh, protecting the biodiversity of the Amazon rainforest. So it's been a, a great journey. And what was your first product offering and how did you decide what it would be? Um, at that time, you know, it was just the little frozen packs. We call them smoothie packs, um, which is still sort of our our best seller. And um, it's just a little, you know, 100 gram, you know, package of frozen acai pulp um, with or without some organic sugar. And, um, you know, you put it in a blender and uh, mix it up with some different stuff, if you will, at least in the beginning. And that was our first product because, frankly, that's all we had. And we didn't have the money nor the skill set to go develop some fancy, you know, product. Um, so we started sort of in that food service world of supplying juice bars and cafes and, and things like that here in Southern California. Um, and, you know, maxed out our credit cards and we're imported a container and we're, 
delivering the, the product into um, juice bars in our, in our own cars to get it started. Um, and then just over time, we were able to, you know, um, plug into some food service distribution and things like that. And then after that, it just sort of continued to grow. And you were importing a relatively new, or should I say new to America, fruit and creating an entirely new product line. You know, you were dealing with two countries, two cultures, two languages. What what sort of challenges did you face early on? Uh, well, <laughs> you know, how, how long how long we got here? I think the... Um, <laughs> It, it's great. You know, you, you learn through experience and mistakes, you know, and, and I certainly didn't have any experience per se in this, in this business. So, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes. Um, and we have, you know, as, as a group and, you know, I think the first challenge is just, you know, acai itself is, it's hard to pronounce. People don't, you know, when you look at it phonetically, you can't really read it. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've, I tried to have a conversation with somebody about acai and they just have no clue. And, you know, at some point I say Akai and they go, Oh, Akai, I love Akai, you know, Akai, yeah. Akai, whatever it is. It's pretty funny. Um, but, um, so, so that's been a challenge. The other thing is the, the acai, it's, it's actually not a berry. Um, I know people call it a berry. We even call it a berry sometimes, but it's technically a droop, which is like, um, something that grows on a palm tree. Um, and it's 95% solid seed. So you literally have like a very thin layer of almost like a tiny little avocado looks like, and then you have like a grape skin. And so other than water, when you're consuming acai, all you're consuming is that little thin layer of, of green fats, which happens to be, you know, the mag part of the magic of acai. And then you have the, the purple skin which is the antioxidant so you sort of have that um people call you know the french paradox and the mediterranean diet one of them is about olive oil and the healthy fats and the other one is about antioxidants and red wine and things like that and you have both of those combined in acai but anyways so to to process acai you know if you took one of these things off the tree you'd never like put it in your mouth it'd be like a marble you know you break your tooth if you tried to like you know bite down on it or something and it grows at the top of a, you know, 30, 40 foot palm tree um, in the middle of the jungle. Right. And it's highly perishable. So um, from a technical standpoint, um, it's really hard to work with. And then it's super viscous and things like that. Some people call it the redheaded stepchild of, of, of fruit a little bit because, you know, these companies, these manufacturers, we, we put it through their processing line to make a beverage or make a you know, a frozen product or whatever. And, and the viscosity of the acai, these little fibers, they tear up equipment, they get clogged in the nozzles, they do all kinds of things. So there's been a lot of um, challenges to, um, you know, just, just on the basic level, you know, to get this thing going, um, let alone, you know, going out there and, and um, trying to, you know, acai is a, a, a crop. It's, it grows, you know, once a year for about four or five months. And so, you got to buy everything you're going to need for the entire year in that four or five month period. So as your sales keep going up and, you know, and you're trying to grow the business at the same time, you need a, a bigger mountain of cash every crop. So, you know, there's, there's been so many, um, so many challenges, but every one of those challenges has been an opportunity to, um, you know, define the business, um, to, you know, build, you know, put solid bricks in the wall, um, of the business and, um, and be just a tremendous learning experience. So, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really do anything different. 
um, I don't think. Um, just um, continue to, you know, work hard and 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 look at the next challenges. And the the other thing that I'll mention is that um, you know it's a continually growing business, right? For us, whether it be going into um, different levels of manufacturing, um, either in in the United States or in Brazil, or going to foreign countries, or to you know, um, getting closer to the end customer with, you know, we run some of our own cafes and things like that. So each time you take one of those steps, you're really jumping into a whole new seg segment or sub segment of, of the industry. And so the learning just continues. And I think that is, um, you know, probably what I'm, you know, most grateful of is just the experience and, and the learning that has, um, you know, I've been able to uh, experience um, over these 18 years. And did you deal with any competitive challenges, like maybe local farmers thinking, oh, this American guy is going to try to come in and beat us at our own game? You know, I, first and foremost, because it was such a brand new thing, um, all of the, um, you know, the, the farmers or the, um, or the processors there were excited about exporting, you know, um, growing their businesses, growing their volumes, things like that. So we were welcomed with open arms when it came to, hey, does anybody want to sell this stuff? Um, I think that, you know, there's different levels. There's the farming level and then there's the, actually the manufacturer processor level. And then there's sort of the brand level. And, um, you know, the farmers are the farmers. So we've never had any you know competition or anything like that. But we are both a processor and we are a brand. So we have different you know competitors. But in the end, um, it's a small market trying to become a big market. So I really, you know, support and, and, um, try to encourage everybody working with acai in the world. Um, because the more people that are out there telling the story of this awesome little berry, you know, this little engine that could, if you will, um, is a positive thing for us. And if we can, you know, encourage or influence, um, those processors, those farmers, or those brands into making sure that the way that they're harvesting their berries and processing their berries is in a, you know, triple bottom line focused way. So you have organic, you know, farming, or you have fair trade standards, or um, you have organic, you know, end products with the ingredients that you're using, things like that. If everybody's following that, then that really does follow, you know, sort of our original um, vision of sustainable management of the Brazilian Amazon, whether we're, you know, whether it's coming under our name or somebody else's, um, we're all heading towards that, you know, end game of having a, a, a value added sustainable commodity. And how did you fund the business early on? Um, well, like a lot of small businesses, I started with some friends and family, not so much family, but more like friends. Um, and that allowed us to get going. Um, we then sort of moved into trying to access some, some debt from, um, let's just, I used to call them green loan funds. Um, they're, they're now called impact investors and we can talk about that in a second, but, um, back in the day it was like, you know, I was looking for, you know, the, for instance, I met the, the president of the nature's conservancy at an event and he said, Oh yeah, hey, we, we we've created a side fund to support small businesses working with small family farmers in Latin America, and so I was connected with the Fundo Eco Empresas that's part of the Nature's Conservancy, and they said, hey, 
you know, we, we can help you with some of your um, social and environmental monitoring, and we can support you with some debt financing. So they were a great partner early on. There was another one called Ecologic Finance um, out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, that same thing, working traditionally with people like um, for, um, coffee farmers and things like that, microcredit, these types of things. So I was able to, you know, we, we are, uh, I, I went to the NGOs early on and said, hey, we have the same goals. You know, we're all trying to make, you know, in this case, the Amazon rainforest a healthier place, both from the land use and also the the, the social side of things with the people. And so let's, you know, let's work together on that. Um, there wasn't, you know, I was able to access um, some uh, financing at that level um, as the con business continued to grow. Um, then I was really fortunate as we jumped into the natural foods industry um, that I was able to get some fantastic mentors um, as part of that, um, asking them to participate both as, you know, board members and also investors and things like that. So um, I was able to... Um, to to get uh, a gentleman called Steve Demos, um, who did the the famous um, silk soy milk and and the White Wave Company, um, to really take an interest in what we were doing and and pass along some of the wisdom that he had learned over you know 20, 30 plus years of of successful you know natural products uh, entrepreneurship. Um, John Elstrat was also a uh, industry sort of veteran who ended up becoming the chairman of Whole Foods Market and just great guy, great company, um, supported me on, and, and we were able to, you know, do a, a pretty big financing round with, um, industry angels, as they called them, who are really, um, supportive of, you know, the company's mission and just us in general. Um, and then as the company, you know, grew on, um, we started taking on bigger investors and things like that. And, and, and now I'm actually, um, in a process to, um, now, now those green loan or green financiers have become, you know, big impact investors. So there's a whole new class of, of private equity financial investors who, you know, may have a, a big fund here. And then they create a side fund that says this one is going to invest only in socially responsible, you know, triple bottom line businesses that are going to make an impact. And we're going to measure not just financial returns, but also um, social and environmental returns. Um, and so um, I'm actually working with some some new investors right now on um, on some of that. So, you know, even the investment world, along with, you know, the food industry has also been turning green, if you will. And um, yeah, it's been great. And you mentioned you started the business around the year 2000. When did you take on your first outside institutional capital? Um, well, we didn't really take institutional capital until 2009. So nine years later. And I actually, you know, I, I look back on that, um, cause I, you know, I, I have a lot of friends and, and entrepreneurs and can, you know, network here that, that people come and they ask me, you know, Hey, how'd you do it? Or, or questions and things like that. And there's such a, um, it's so, um, common today for, and, you know, entrepreneurs to go out and either have a, an idea and go straight to in, institutional capital or just go a couple years down the road and then want to go to the, you know, to the institutional capital because we all want to go big and we want to go fast and, and things like that. But I actually, you know, credit where we are with Samazon now as a, as a blessing that we didn't access institutional capital until we were almost 10 years old 
And that that's played a big role in it because from the from at the time that we took the institutional capital, it was, you know, okay, this investor gets a board seat and this investor gets a board seat instead of if you do that when you're small and you go too early, then, you know, your institutional investors maybe take half of your board seats on day one. And then if you, you know, if you slip up or you need more money or just things happen over time, it's really easy for. Um, you're, you're, you're just like one step away from either lose contr- losing control of the business to the institutional investor or to, um, you know, other dynamics. So I, I actually look back on it as really a blessing that we didn't take uh, institutional capital. And, and not to say um, institutional capital is bad or anything like that. It's actually, you know, helped us become who we are today. And, um, you know, we've had a great partner um, in, in a, a group called Verlinvest out of, out of Belgium. Um, that, um, you know, has provided all kinds of access and networks and professionals, and um, they've really helped us, you know, grow the business over the years. Um, it's just the, um, you know, when you start playing with big chunks of other people's money, that, you know, the dynamic changes for a, you know, socially responsible business um, and puts diff- just diff- different pressures. And, um, you know, I think in our case, we've been fortunate enough to have a great partner um, in Berlin Invest, where they never they never asked me once to compromise, you know, any of the values of the company because they know that um, those are baked into our DNA, and that's again that 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 um, digestion period, if you if you will, of nine years of baking it into our DNA um, was you know gave us the ability to you know stick to those values and build a brand around the values that um, I think people, whether it's investors or even um, you know, strategic um, partners n- would know that the you know part of the value of the brand of Sabazon comes from that intrinsic DNA of a, a value-based system, and, our, and I think our customers, um, you know, love our products and also love um, what they stand for. So this was far from an overnight success. Uh, at what point did you feel like this could really work, or or this is working? Uh, you know, it was nine years before you raised your first round of institutional capital. And then maybe another two or three years before the American public started to catch on to the wave um, and all the benefits of acai and the delicious taste of acai. Was there a moment where you felt like this is going to be big? Uh, uh, honestly, I thought it was going to be big from day one. I really did. And I, and I, I you know, I think it's going to be a lot bigger, actually, than it is now. And I, I know it is. I see what's happening around the world and people just you know, loving healthy food and loving the flavor and loving the, you know, just the whole experience of an acai bowl, you know, it makes, you know, we say purple smiles, it just makes people happy. So you combine all that together. Um, You know, I I joke sometimes that we're a 20 year overnight success, um, which is actually what happens, you know, like, you know, if you look at, you know, a a lot of, um, I mean, we're still, we're, we're a big small company, but you look at some of the big companies, you look at the Starbucks of the world and things like that, I mean, they didn't, you know, they didn't become a multi-billion dollar business in five years or 10 years or even 20 years. You know, it takes time um, to build brands and to build trust and to build, um, you know, people want to see you out there, you know, doing what you say you're going to do and and to really, you know, build if you really want to build um a place in the in the psyche of you know America or 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 beyond you know you really have to be consistent and um, so 
um, it's it's taken a while. I, I can say that um, in 2005, um, we built our first manufacturing plant in Brazil. And uh, right, you know, it's right on the bank of the Amazon River. We have a dock, all the boats come in with the fruit. And I remember watching that, you know, it was the first piece of property I ever bought in my life. Um, not me personally, but the company bought it. Um, but I had never bought, you know, anything in my life, of course. And um, so the first piece of property I bought was where we we're going to stick this land and or excuse me, this factory. And, you know, it was just a, a, a piece of dirt, basically. And um, so the first thing we did and I credit uh, my, my long term partner in this, Travis Baumgartner, you know, he went up there into the Amazon with this carried this huge crystal in his suitcase. And we basically planted that crystal at the base of our factory um, underground to make sure we had the good vibes. And, um, you know, within 12 months, that thing, that, that factory went from, you know, just dirt to this beautiful, you know, first world manufacturing plant that people, you know, compare to like a pharmaceutical plant because it's just really nice, you know, kind of essentially in the middle of the jungle. I mean, of course there's roads around, but and to watch that factory go up and then to watch the, um, the community around it, you know, um, there was on the road that we're on, um, on the street, there was, you know, there was like a gas station and one other, you know, um, little business or something. And now there's like 45 businesses on that street sort of thing. So where we placed our, um, our plant all of a sudden spurred this like economic growth and, and really supported this local community. And that, um, that's an, that was an awesome thing to, to witness, you know, that what we're doing here, just, you know, pushing our product into, into the local, you know, U.S. economy has that sort of impact in the Amazon. And that's, um, that's just been something that, that, you know, makes you feel good and you can be proud of. So. Yeah, that's that's incredible. And what about the company today? Talk a bit about how things are going. How big are you? How many employees? Where are you based? Um, and and what does your day to day look like now? Yeah. Um, so the company now um, we have about two hundred two hundred and fifty employees, depending on the time of the year, because um, we have we go up a little bit during the crop period. Um, we are, we are just breaking ground this month actually on a new facility, which is going to add another, call it 150 people to the company. So by, um, you know, mid year, we could be looking at maybe like 400 employees, which is awesome. Um, and then the reach, um, currently, you know, we're working with about, you know, 3,500 families and the family size is around 10. So we're, you know, uh, touching, you know, supporting income for, um, you know, 30,000 people in the forest. And when we build this new plant, that's going to bump up and, and maybe even double. So um, the impact that the company is making um, is continuing to grow. And that's, again, that goes back to sustainable management of the Brazilian Amazon. That's, that's really what's exciting here. I feel like we're, we're McDonald's a little bit where, you know, where the, the number keeps changing on, you know, people, number of people served, you know, and I think that's, uh, that's continues to be our mantra, not so much of what we're serving out there to the public, but the people that we're serving at the base of the supply chain. Um, you know, today, um, we've, one of the challenges with acai is that, you know, going back to the little packages that you cut open and you put a blender and you add stuff to, and you turn on the blender and you make it and, you know, um, that's a fairly tedious process. Um, and it takes, you know, it takes a few to, to really make it that way. And it's nice to make it, 
you know, with your family at home that way. But in a food service setting, when you're trying to go fast in an airport or a train station or, you know, just even, a, you know, a Starbucks or a McDonald's or something like that, um, you know, it's got to be faster. So over the last five years, we've gone out and developed um, something called the Perfect Bowl acai machine. Uh, which is a dispensing unit that you literally push a button and um, acai comes out at the perfect temperature, at the perfect consistency, at the perfect flavor every single time. So, you know, today in, in America, you know, you go out there, you find an acai bowl at, you know, thousands of places sort of thing. And they're pretty much different everywhere you go based on, you know, did they mix it with apple juice or soy milk or banana or raspberries or whatever it is, you're going to find something a little bit different. So, um, that's been great for one level of food service. A lot of, you know, independent shops and juice bars and great places like, you know, Juice It Up here in Southern California um, or Planet Smoothie down in the Southeast. But um, this machine is now going to allow um, for acai to go to places that it never has been able to go before because of this convenience factor. So you have, you know, we have a huge push right now into colleges and universities. Um, you know, business and industry accounts and, you know, the, the, the Netflixes and the, and the LinkedIn's and, and people like this of the world that um, want to serve healthy, you know, great tasting acai bowls, um, but haven't gone through, aren't willing to go through the process of all the blenders and the things. So I, that's our, our, our number one initiative right now is these machines. Um, and they're super exciting. So look for those to come to your local, um, you know, your local institution or your local store. Um, and then on the retail side, um, we continue to innovate awesome products um, with, you know, not just smoothie packs, um, but also some of our sorbet products. And, and my personal favorite that we've come out with uh, in the last um, year has been something called an acai bite. And these are vegan frozen acai covered with chocolate. And they are just, you know, they're, they're, you know, four grams of sugar and 50 calories or something like that. It's like a little acai bonbon. And, um, you know, those are just flying off the shelf at local Costco's. Um, they're about to go into Sprouts Market. Um, and those are just awesome. So we, we're kind of hitting it from both the food service side and the retail side um, in terms of um, product innovation and just, you know, continuing to make awesome vegan products that taste real great and you can be happy about um you know knowing that every dollar that you spend on on what we're doing is contributing to the you know biodiversity of the amazon rainforest and providing you know healthy jobs to people and what advice do you have for someone who's just starting out in the food and bev space or the cpg space um you know what's a piece of advice that you wish you could have given yourself in 1999 i know you mentioned something about fundraising what else would you tell yourself sort of back then? <laughs> um, what would I say? You know, get ready, you know, get your rest because it's going to be it's going to be a, a, a long road sort of thing. Um, no, I, I think that, um, you know, we used to say in, in, in back to the football days, you know, make mistakes at full speed, you know. So just again, back to the whole learning thing. If you're a young entrepreneur like I was um, and I like to think I still am in some ways, um, you're going to learn through those mistakes. So don't be um, shy. Don't be, you know, hesitant, you know, go out there and, and make your mistakes. Um, and you're going to learn from those. The second I would be is be, be careful 
about um, taking too much money too fast. It really is, um, uh, it could be potentially um, fatal to, to the success of your company. Um, and I, I, again, I, 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 I've been Samazon, we, and we've been very fortunate, one, because we didn't take the, the, the big money until um, later on in, the, in the, the term of the company. Um, and we were also fortunate to find um, some great partners to help us, um, you know, again, maintain sort of the values of the company. Um, and the other thing that I would say is just that when you're small, um, it's hard to afford, you know, great people and experience and things like that. But what you can do is seek out mentors and consultants and industry people. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got was to, you know, go, you know, two, two things. One, um, you know, a, a mentor of mine used to say, you know, you're the only wild card in this business. Everybody else around you needs to be a, a, a professional and have experience and things like that. Um, and then the second thing that he used to tell me was that, you know, put people around you that have already crossed the finish line, right? And they can pull you from where you are across the finish line. Um, and so the use of mentors, the use of consultants that you can't afford full-time um, is something that if you surround yourself with these experts, um, you can always have, you know, a lifeline um, or, you know, a phone call that you can ask and, and, and um, leverage the mistakes that they've made. You know, we, we can all sort of figure it out. Um, it's just a matter of how fast you move up the learning curve and those experts around you can really help you um, move faster. And lastly, is there anything you would like to plug? Um, I know you mentioned the bars and the machines. What, what markets are those in? Where can we find those? Um, and, you know, anything else you want to shamelessly plug? Um, well, those are starting to get out, you know, all over the country. Um, you know, Pliables in New Jersey is doing a phenomenal job. You know, Three Natives down in Florida is doing awesome. Um, and, and then on the retail side, you know, you, you're starting to see our frozen packs and, and other products in Publix down in the Southeast and Kroger um, and, and Costco and Safeway out here in the West. And, um, you know, I, I just encourage people, most people truthfully still haven't tried acai or had an acai bowl and people, you know, maybe have heard the word and things like that. Um, but it's just such a great experience, um, to have an acai bowl with your family. You know, a lot of people are making bowls with their kids and it's become just a, a fun activity. Um, so yeah, I, I just, uh, encourage everybody if you haven't tried an acai bowl, you know, um, find us online or find us at, at your local supermarket and, um, you know, see what all the hype is about. It's, it's an awesome experience. And, and I can attest to that as well. We are big fans of acai in the Draper household. Uh, the frozen packs are incredible. You throw it in with the banana, with some almond milk, bada bing, bada boom, you're off to the races. So I, I am a loyal customer myself. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ryan, for coming on and telling your story. It was incredible, and, and I really sincerely appreciate it. So thank you for that. You got it. It's a privilege and uh, honor to, 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 to share this story and a little bit about um, some of the life experiences that we've had. And um, keep up the good work, man. Thank you for your time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, I hugely appreciate it. Um, truly, truly, uh, it makes a big difference. Uh, hopefully, you're having as much fun listening to these things as I am having making them. 
Um, feel free, if you liked what you heard, to subscribe uh, to the Making the Brand podcast in the podcasts app. I will be releasing new episodes every week, um, and we have some more fun ones coming up. So here we go. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.